0: Start making your way to to 1 Kings. It's in the earlier parts of the Old Testament. Uh, While you turn there, I just want to read us one verse from Proverbs, even though I said we'd be in 1 Kings, but listen to this verse from Proverbs. Chapter 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord, purpose of Yahweh that will stand. That's written by Solomon, someone that we're going to start to see here this morning for the next several weeks. But what is it that Solomon is saying there? It's, man, have a lot of plans, but it's the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Well, it's not ultimately man's plans that are important. That's what he's saying. It's not man's plans or purposes that are guaranteed, but actually it's It's the opposite. It's God's plans that we can count on. It's his purposes that will happen. What God says will come to be, we can count on it. What God says he will do, we are to absolutely know without a doubt that he will do it. People will come up with all kinds of ideas. People will have so many different schemes and plans But if they are not in line with what God wants, well, they will not really become reality. There are numerous reasons why that truth is so important for every believer. We have to understand the importance of God's purposes. Let me also say that truth is important for everyone. Even if you're not a believer, it's good to know that truth, Even as an unbeliever, we benefit from knowing about God's sovereignty. We we benefit from understanding the providence of God about his purposes coming true, his plan coming true. For example, knowing that God's judgment for sin is unavoidable. That's helpful to know. God says that's a reality. He says that's going to be a truth that we are to know. It's helpful to know that. And it's equally helpful to know that the salvation that he offers in the gospel is is equally trustworthy. It's helpful to know that. It's good to know those things are true and, and those are part of God's purposes. But there is so much more. Knowing that the plans and purposes of men can't undo what God is doing, that's really good to know knowing that the the evil purposes of men can't undo God's purpose, watch this is going to bring us so much hope in life. It's going to fill our lives with joy, with peace, with comfort more than anything else. Even when it looks like men might just completely undo all that God has said, even when it looks like God's purpose is might not come true, we're to know we can trust in God's word. We can believe wholeheartedly what Solomon knew and learned and and believed. Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the mind of men, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This truth is so largely on display in 1 Kings chapter 1, and it's a truth that God's people here in the Old Testament need really badly these men and women who would read the book of kings that first reader I mean even their junior hires who were taken out of out of their promised land that God had given these, these people who were taken into captivity, who were wondering why they were exiles. We, we talked about that a little bit last week, and we're going to see all that come to fruition here as we study this book. But they had some questions. Why had they lost their land? Why were they underneath the control of their enemy? What was their hope now? Was there any comfort for the future? Was there any peace for them on the horizon? Or was this their new way of life? Was this it now? I think that's a fair question. I'm sure they were wondering how, how was God's purpose on display in all of this? Everything in their life looked like it was right on the edge of Disaster. One more bad choice, one more bad thing, and it just looks like it's going to be permanently broke, permanently this way. It's unfixable, and it appears that they might be in captivity forever, but that was not God's plan. So even though the book of First Kings is, is really long, this opening chapter, it, it goes straight to the most valuable lesson that God's people need to learn. It goes right at it, and that doesn't stop with Israel and Judah, these two people groups that we'll see over and over. These people who, as we'll learn, couldn't detach themselves from idolatry, who couldn't stop themselves from worshiping false idols, and they couldn't walk away from it, and that was the sin that got them into this trouble in the first place. They would not listen to God. They wouldn't listen to his warning that the prophets brought. They wouldn't turn from their sin. They wouldn't obey. And because of that, they were under judgment. All that's, again, going to be the story of First and Second Kings. But the plans of men, even though they seem to be ruling their lives, the plans of their enemies appear to be winning. But God's plan is all that matters. This truth You guys, it doesn't stop with the Old Testament believers. It doesn't stop with God's people there. You and I need the same lesson. We need to learn just as badly that God's purpose will always stand. There are countless scenarios in life where that will be really helpful. In junior high, we're probably just beginning to see moments like that where we're starting to understand the impact that the plans of people around us can have on us, the way people act and the things they do. Maybe you're being persecuted for being a Christian or, or maybe you're being you know, attacked in your character. It could be a scenario where someone in authority over your life seems to have it out for you. A teacher or a coach, and one day that might be a boss that you have to work for. And as you get older, you'll care more about the moral decline or decay of our world. It'll start to bother you more and more, and the rapid growth and tolerance and acceptance of evil, it'll make you feel like you too are potentially living on that edge of disaster all the time. Like a a cup so full of water, just one more drop will make it completely overflow. That's how it feels. And when you look around, and it seems like the plans of men are sort of winning here. We need to remember that God's word teaches us those aren't God's plans. Those will not stand. You can trust and you can count on the reality that God will maintain not only his purpose, but his kingdom. He'll keep his word. His promises will come to pass. His plans can't be stopped. And that's really our big idea for 1 Kings chapter 1. God's plan can't be stopped, no matter how it seems. And this chapter, it's long as you're looking at it. We're going to try to get through it this morning, uh, but it's a great reminder of the unstoppable purposes of God. And we're going to look at it in four parts, and all of them are going to sort of fo- uh, focus around the, the throne. Who is the king? In fact, that seems to be something the author is trying to get us to see right here in this first chapter. The kingdom, the, the, the throne is, is up for grabs here a little bit. There is some uncertainty here and it feels like if we just make one wrong move here that this whole thing's going to be over but again we're to know God's plan can't be stopped. I'm going to try to read this in parts and because it's so long I'm just going to make a few comments along the way but I want you to see This amazing truth this morning that God's plan can't be stopped. Let's look first at at this. We'll call it the kingdom at risk. The kingdom at risk, first 10 verses here. It says, now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore, his servant said to him, let a young woman be sought for my Lord, the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my Lord, the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and they found Abishag the Shunammite, and they brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared for himself chariots, horsemen, and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet of Shimei and Rei and David's mighty men, they were not with Adonijah. Verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone which is beside in Rogel and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons and all the royal officials of Judah but He did not invite Nathan, the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. It's a lot going on already. (laughs) It's a lot of people and a lot of names, and we're needing some help from the Old Testament about what's happening here. But let me just try to keep us focused on what's important. David is the king, and David's also old. And he's getting close to that sort of end of his life, and just like your grandparents, he's just always cold. He just can't get warm. Verse one tells us, and this lady Abishag will be his nurse. She's like a, a human heating pad. She's just trying to keep him warm. It's a professional relationship, and and verse. Five starts to bring in the threat to the kingdom. If David can't be king, Adonijah will happily take his place. That's the point. He's meant to be this huge contrast to David. And that's the purpose of the author, to set this son of David in contrast to his father. Adonijah is the fourth son of David. That Hagith, that's his mother's name, in case you're wondering. But Adonijah is ambitious, verse 5 says. He, he wants to be the king. He'll, he just claims it. And his older brothers, if we had time to go back and read it, you'd see they all died. At least two that we know of died in 2 Samuel. And his the next brother stops being mentioned from a very, very young age. So... Something probably happened to him as well. So it seems like he, by default, is next in line for the throne. And he just decides to claim it. And his dad sort of seems to be more interested in the thermostat here than who's king, not really paying attention, not really saying anything to Adonijah about it. That's what is there in verse 4. He doesn't, doesn't really displease Adonijah at all. But Adonijah is a man who's showing his His strength with his small army and he has the support of some military and religious leaders there in verse 7. But it's really one description of Adonijah that should make us go, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. And it's probably one that you chuckled at. It was the description that he's a very handsome man. Why does that matter? We can't forget that Kings is also very connected. I've said it a couple times, but I want to get that into your brain. Very connected to First and Second Samuel. And that description of very handsome, well, is actually described the same way that his brother Absalom was in 2 Samuel chapter 14, and probably more alarming as King Saul in 1 Samuel 9. There it says, and... He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul. And Saul was the kind of king that the people were looking for. Not that he was a good leader or decisive or wise, but that he was tall and dark and handsome and he looked like an awesome king. And that's all they wanted. They didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a a kingly looking king. And then here's Adonijah with the same description. These physically impressive men. Sure, they're as handsome as Ryan Bennett, but they're disastrous men. Saul was rejected as king, and Absalom, he made his dad's life, David, impossibly difficult. It's not good to be lumped in with these two. And here is Adonijah with that same description. And had we read it straight through, you would have heard it. And when you did, you would have known that's a problem. Adonijah's not qualified to be king. You can't just claim it. It has to be God's purpose. You have to have God's approval. And we just finished 1 Timothy and there in chapter 3, we saw the qualifications of God's leaders, and it's it's not about looks. It's God cares about character and godliness, not about dimples, not about chariots. That's not what God's interested in. So here is Adonijah doing all the wrong things. His description disqualifies him. And he doesn't care. He'll be king. And so he's having a party, and he's just going to announce himself as king, but there are some who don't get an invitation to the party. That leads us to number two, the kingdom's servants, the the true servants or loyalists, if you know what that word is. I think servants, that fits. The, The prophet Nathan catches wind of what's happening, and then verse 11, Nathan said to Bathsheba, The mother of Solomon, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Hagith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Now, therefore, come, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? And then Nathan says, while you're still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So verse 15, Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old. We got that. And Abishag, the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed, paid homage to the king. And the king said, what do you desire? It's actually two words in the Hebrew. He's so old and cold. He musters out like two words. It's interesting. Verse 17, she says to him, My Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now look, Adonijah's king, although you, my Lord the king, do not know it. He's sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. He's invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon, your servant, he's not invited now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it'll come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king, Here's Nathan the prophet. When he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground, and Nathan said... My Lord, the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he's gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. He's invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army and Abiathar, the priests. And look, they're eating and drinking before him and saying, long live king Adonijah. But me, your servant. Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehida, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord, the king, and you've not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him? We'll stop there. Nathan devises a plan, and he heads straight to Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mother. You need to make some connections here. And he tells her what's going on. And verse 17 is probably the most helpful. It points to this reality that at some point, David had promised Bathsheba that their son Solomon would be the next king. And, you know, while David's searching for an extra blanket Adonijah is just busy here. And it makes sense that Adonijah knows that Solomon is next up to be the king. That's why he doesn't get invited to the party. And these other people he knows aren't going to be a good invite. But what we might miss and what we might not understand is that in their day, when someone became the king, anybody who was a threat for the throne, I mean, well, they were just eliminated. That's the nicest word. They were done. And so Solomon's literally in danger of not only losing the throne, but his life and, you know, his mom Bathsheba as well. And Nathan is the one who steps into action. He rallies Bathsheba and they come up with this plan. We don't want to make the text say something that isn't saying, but Nathan's playing a crucial role here. And we too can never be so sure what, you know, our role is. We might think it's not important or insignificant, but Nathan's just being faithful here. And he plays this major role in God's plan, just doing what he thinks is right. We can learn from that, but let's press on and, and look in this chapter at our next point, the kingdom saved, verse 28. King David answered, says, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity? As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me. And he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. And Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king said, may my Lord King David live forever. And King David rapid fires said, call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord, have Solomon, my son ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel then blow the trumpet and say long live King Solomon you shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne for he shall be king in my place and I've appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king amen may the lord the god of my lord the king say so as the Lord's been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule, and they brought him to Gihon. There Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon And they blew the trumpet and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. All the people went up after him, playing on pipes, rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. I believe that the author intends us to see that King David is no longer feeling so cold. In verse 16, he barely says anything to Bathsheba. Now he's full of enthusiasm and the blood's pumping and he affirms his oath and he calls for men and he gives orders and he wants Solomon anointed. He wants him to be made king. And these these were orders and they were accomplished. Solomon was to be king. He was to be the new leader. God didn't have to send plagues to accomplish his plan. He just needed to use his people. And like this part of chapter one, we don't always know how God's going to work or answer when it seems crazy or it seems like, again, we're on that tipping point of disaster, but we need to just remember that God's plan will stand. We we can trust that his plan is perfect. God's purposes are right in every way. Lastly, just this last few verses, let's call it the kingdom submission, kingdom submission, Adonijah and all the guests, I might've changed it to response. There you go. That's a good word too. The kingdom responds, Adonijah and all the guests who were with him, they heard that noise as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, what does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest came And Adonijah said, come in, for you're a worthy man. Bring good news. (laughs) It's not. Jonathan answered Adonijah, no, for our Lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And they had him ride on the king's mule. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they've gone up from there rejoicing so that the city's in an uproar. That's the noise that you've heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, may your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who's granted someone to sit on my throne this day, that my own eyes see it. And all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. Adonijah too feared Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. It was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. Solomon. For look, he's laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he'll not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon said, If he'll show himself a worthy man, not one of his hair shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your home. Adonijah and his buddies, they hear the ruckus and they don't fully understand it until Jonathan shows up. And verse 43 is all that matters. King David has made Solomon the new king. And it took everybody there about two seconds for them to scatter. Why? Because they want to be loyal to the true king, to the new king. They want to submit to his leadership, not some fake king. Verse 49, they're out of there because... They want to be good citizens for the new king. Even Adonijah's responding rightly. For now, he's willing to submit. He bows before the new king. He promises to be loyal. And for a moment, disaster is averted. This unfit king is not put in charge. God's purposes do come to pass despite the plans of men. It's a long opening chapter and one where we might not feel the danger. We might not understand how close the kingdom comes to utter destruction, but we're meant to. And I do think it's fitting that First Kings begins this way. God's kingdom is not in jeopardy, even when it looks like it might be. We can know and we should know that God's purposes will stand. 3,000 years ago, that was true. About 2,000 years ago, that was still true. As we think about this weekend, as we think about what this Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday, what they're all about, God's kingdom was in jeopardy. The king had died. And it looked like the plans and purposes of evil men were going to win. But that was not God's purpose. On Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, Jesus proved that his word is true. Jesus proved that his word is true. His resurrection showed us that the Father's plan will stand. He rose from the dead, and what looked so hopeless three days later now was the most incredible news ever. Jesus had beaten death and sin, and it was an awesome moment. What Jesus said he would do, guess what? He did it. What he promised would happen is exactly what happened. The plans of men can't undo what God is doing And there is hope and joy and comfort like none other in that truth. Even when it looks completely hopeless and wrecked and ruined, it's not. And Solomon learned that and he wrote it down in Proverbs. Many are the plans of men, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Father, thank you for this truth. God, help us to understand how crucial that is. God, to trust in you and your word and believe wholeheartedly that your purposes will stand. Thank you that we get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, that we get to celebrate your son showing that your word is true, proving that he did accomplish salvation. He did secure eternity with you for us. God, thank you even as we get to start this little series in Kings, Lord, and as we look back on history that we can see You are a God who doesn't change. You are a God who's in control. God, may that bring us comfort today. We pray in Christ's name, amen.